Hello and welcome to Hear It Now. I'm Ashley Thornburg, your guest host for today. There's a hotline you may not be aware of. It's similar to 911 in that its purpose is to help people, but it's not just for people in sort of that imminent danger. The hotline is 211 and it's run by First Link, a statewide nonprofit aimed at connecting people who can help with the people who need it. And joining me today is Ashley Ladbury, the training and education coordinator for First Link. Hi, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. And this day in particular that uh, you are here, it is the 11th day of the second month, so 211. It's uh, awareness day for the 211 hotline. What are some of the services that 211 provides? Well, the services vary um, depending on the 211 call center that's answering those 211 calls. Um, in Fargo or in, for North Dakota, First Link answers the calls for all of North Dakota. And we provide what we call information and referral. So that's kind of what you described, where people can give us a call and let us know what their problem is or what they need help with. And we can look through our database of um, almost 6,000 different resources across the state and let people know where they can go to for help. And at our 211 call center, we also provide what we call listening and support. So for people that just need someone to talk to if they're having a really bad day, uh, maybe if they're you know having some symptoms of mental illness and they just kind of need someone to uh, give them a little bit of a reality check, um, we answer calls for that as well. Okay. And, um, you said information and referral. Really, what kind of information? Um, it is pretty extensive, I think, for our call center. So we provide information. A lot of our calls are about basic needs. So people maybe needing help finding um, where they can go for help with food, rent, utilities, um, transportation. We also have information on mental health, addiction resources, support groups. Um, But then we also have more kind of life promoting and and wellness promoting things as well. So like volunteer opportunities, um, recreation opportunities throughout the the state. Um, And then also like different civic clubs, hobby groups, service clubs, stuff like that. So this is really pretty well-rounded. Yeah. Yeah. We're what we call a comprehensive information referral, meaning that we, you know, provide that kind of comprehensive information on all different types of resources in the community. So what does that mean for the the specialists who are taking the calls? What kind of training do you need to have to be well-versed in such a a wide variety? Um, Well, we provide, it's, let's see, over 60 hours of training for our call specialists. Um, You know, we talk about one about some just kind of basic things about being non-judgmental. So if someone calls and is presenting a problem, um, that you can help them and and kind of help to empathize with the situation that they're in. Um, and then we also we don't expect people to memorize the six thousand resources in our database. So we have to have quite a bit of training on um, how to use the database, so people know kind of what things to look up and how to find those resources that people are looking for. Okay, so the same specialist could take a call if you need help on your mortgage um, or if something's going on and you need to switch childcare in a hurry, you can can get the same help. (laughs) Right. Yep, exactly. Um, How did you get into this line of work? What's, um, does your background lead you really into this kind of career or? Um, No, not at all. I just happened when I um, moved into the area was looking on on a job website and saw that First Link was hiring, and um, they happened to be hiring for overnights, which was because they're a 24-hour helpline. And mm-hmm. so I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. I'd, I'd been working overnights before and really liked that. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll apply there. And 
Um, before that, I was going into healthcare, so it just completely turned around what what kind of my life path was, and I just love this kind of work so much that I decided to stick with it. So more just a matter of you need the, the sort of general interest in it, not mm-hmm. necessarily you have to have the educational background. Right. Yep. And our, our call specialists, um, you know, what we look for is that they've had some kind of education in human services. Um, but then also we do look for some kind of personality traits. So like I said, that having that ability to empathize mm-hmm. with people that are calling in and um, maybe having some of the tech skills to use the database. Um, and then we just train for a lot of the rest of it because you know, kind of being a, an INR specialist is not really something that you kind of go to school for. So we have to provide a lot of training. Uh, how do you train for empathy? How do you make people make that connection? Um, we do some role playing. So where we have people actually play a caller that's calling in. Um, and then we talk about like how did that feel for you? If you were that caller that was calling in with that situation where they had an eviction notice or they had a utility shut off and they have children and it's the you know the middle of the winter, um, how how would you feel? How do you think that caller's feeling? Um, so just to kind of put people in that situation and let them kind of role play it for a little bit. Okay. And now this started off uh, just answering calls for Cass and Clay County, but now you've yeah. since expanded to statewide. Yes. Yep. So. Um, First link for people in Cass and Clay County, they may actually know us as the Seek line or two three five Seek, and we've been answering that line for um, over forty years for Cass and Clay County, and then in two thousand ten we took over two one one coverage for the whole state. Oh, okay, and is that um, what was behind the expansion? Just there was the need, or um, actually there had been a call center that was located in Bismarck that was taking calls for all of North Dakota except for Cass County. And then um, due to lack of funding, they weren't able to continue providing that service. And so we stepped up from there and and it really was a big expansion for us, huge time for growth for First Link. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Lots and lots of call specialists hired. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you touched on this earlier. Um, it's, It's not just for people who need help. It's also for people who want to help. And I understand um, maybe particularly in in the event of a disaster like flood volunteers, people helping sandbag, that kind of thing? Yes. Um, so during a disaster, First Link is contracted with the cities of Fargo, Moorhead, West Fargo, and Cass and Clay counties to coordinate their volunteers in case of a disaster. Um, so in past floods, when we've set up the, the helpline for people to call that either need help or that want to volunteer, it was First Link that set up that call center and kind of recruited the volunteers and um, kind of maintained them and coordinated all of the, the volunteer effort. And, and I noticed that you guys have a new online database mm-hmm. for helping people. Is that part of this sort of larger campaign to increase awareness of 211? Um, yeah, so the being able to access our resources online is something that we've had the capability to do for a little while. Okay. Um, just at the beginning of this year, we got a new database. And um, so it's just, you know, kind of upgrading that technology. And um, we've, you know, hopefully we'll be able to give better information, I think would be a good way to describe it when people call. So um, right now, the information that we can give to people is kind of a general description of that service, their phone number, location, hours, Mm -hmm. um, eligibility, things like that. But with this new database, we now have the capability to like just go onto Google Maps. So if someone calls us and says, well, I'm not really sure where that's at, Um, Mm -hmm. we can click on the map feature and it will kind of help us give directions to people 
Um, we can let people know if there's a waiting list, which is really important for some of like housing services mm-hmm. in the state, um, what bus line it's on, if it is on a bus line. So these are kind of new features that are going to be coming online. Okay. And I imagine, um, I imagine with social media and everything, it's just easier to promote an, uh, your online resources too? Yeah. Um, you know, so in this day and age, not everyone is as comfortable calling a helpline mm-hmm. as they maybe would be just going on our website and accessing our resources that way. So yeah, people could just go to our website, um, www.myfirstlink.org, and there's a little button at the bottom that says community resources. And um, you know, when that database is up and running online, people can just you know search in a type of keyword in in the database and find all the resources that are available in their community. Okay, so it's kind of helping you fill that. I want to remain anonymous, and yet you're also sort of attacking this ongoing battle of making people aware of your services. Yep, <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and now, FirstLink is a recipient of Giving Hearts Day funds. Um, that's kind of one of those clearinghouse places for charitable contributions. And I'm mm-hmm. going to go into more detail, actually, with our next guest on um, Giving Hearts Day. But I want to know um, how people can help specifically if they want to help FirstLink on Giving Hearts Day, which is coming up on Thursday. Yeah, that's a, a very exciting thing to be part of that um, through Dakota Medical Foundation, Impact Foundation. It's a, a great opportunity for nonprofits to raise funds. Um, so people can go to impactgiveback.org and um, scroll down to First Link and click on Donate. And any donation of $10 or more made on February 14th through that website will be uh, matched by Dakota Medical Foundation. And what are you able to do with these funds? Um, a lot of it goes to, so I think that money on Dakota Medical Foundation's Giving Hearts Day is going to go to our general fund. So just, you know, some, I mean, paying for phone service, um, paying for our, you know, internet, paying staff, um, kind of just those general things that we have to have money to be able to keep offering this service to the community. And uh, that website, one more time for anyone who either wants to help or who does need some help. For First Link's website, yeah, it's my firstlink.org and it's all spelled out. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. And good luck on Giving Hearts Day. Thank you. And we started uh, just briefly mentioning Giving Hearts Day, but coming up we will go into a little bit more depth with uh, J. Patrick Trainer. He is the Executive Director of the Impact Foundation. <laughs> Tonight's television lineup on Prairie Public starts with Antiques Roadshow from Boston, including some Civil War photos. Then at 8 Central, the Market Warriors go in search of miniature furniture at the D.C. Big Flea in Chantilly, Virginia. And at 9, Part 1 of the Reagan Presidency. Tune in tonight on Prairie Public. Welcome back to Here It Now. I'm Ashley Thornburg, your guest host for today. And just before the break, we were just getting into discussing Giving Hearts Day with the uh, first link. And this is a 24-hour fundraising event run by the Impact Foundation. And I'm joined now by Pat Trainer, a man who wears quite a few hats as head of both the Dakota Medical Foundation and as the executive director of the Impact Foundation, which is... Uh, 
geared at helping nonprofits in North Dakota and Western Minnesota. So, Pat, tell me a little bit more just uh, about kind of the basic history of the Impact Foundation. Sure. Well, it was it was created in 2004 and five, and really one of the main uh, things that we do is, is uh, build the capacity of nonprofits to become exceptional performers. And one thing in particular is is uh, that we focused on is the fundraising, you know, teach a person how to fish and they eat for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So our, our goal is really, you know, to build their capacity to tap into this generational transfer of wealth that's going on across the whole United States. The idea that we can look at solving problems as opposed to just treating them because there's great resources available from generations of folks that have saved money for years and years. And now they're transferring it to the next generation and $95 billion going to charity through 2061 just in North Dakota. So, you know, it's really, really exciting, you know, giving Hearts Day we're here to talk about because mm-hmm. that's one of the efforts that we use then through our training to see these nonprofits really excel. Well, yeah, it sounds like the Impact Foundation is almost kind of a, a clearinghouse for helping people find the charity that they want to support. Is that fair to say? Well, that's, that'd be fair to talk about the website. That's okay. impactgiveback.org where mm-hmm. we list over 400 charities. And, on, of course, on Giving Hearts Day, we have over 170 causes that people can choose from because, again, giving really is personal. Mm-hmm. So that day you have so many different wonderful opportunities to give. And then it's a real uh, – it's kind of a friendly competition we like to call it. Uh, all these groups now uh, have a match either provided by Dakota Medical or some other uh, generous people in the community. So the minimum match is $4,000. And then there's some that have raised over $50,000 in match f- funds you know, for this day. So it's really grown beyond our wildest imagination. In just six years, right? This is the sixth annual? Yes. 2008 was the first year. And Giving Hearts Day was actually an idea of one of our staff members, Gina oh. Pinovich. Okay. So really exciting for her, too, to see how this, this idea you know, blossomed into a, a really spectacular day of giving across North Dakota and western Minnesota. Yeah, blossoming, that's, that's a really good word. I mean, from in 2008, it looks like it was a little over three hundred thousand, three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars yes. raised in two thousand eight to over a million dollars in both twenty eleven and twenty twelve. Um, what do you th- is there ma- one major cause behind this explosion of growth, or, or what do you think is behind this? Well, I really think it's that these these charities really are implementing the fundraising techniques that we teach them through the uh, institute. So we use a, a group of folks. Uh, the name of their company is called Funding Logic, but it's really a father and son. Uh, I call them a dynamic duo, Jim and Scott Holdman. They're from Grand Forks. Uh, they're local. We started training nonprofits really in, since 2005. And so each year they get, it seems like they get better and better. And now we've expanded the number of groups we've been able to work with. Mm-hmm. But honestly, they're the exceptional performers. They're the ones that are connecting with their with donors. But what's interesting about Giving Hearts Day is one-third of the donors are brand new for the organizations. And, of course, that's the gold standard. We're inspiring you know, more people to give to these wonderful causes. And I think I'd also say that we live in a very, very generous, kind, caring region. I think that's that's also part of it. People get aware, you know, the more they're aware of all these wonderful um, opportunities to connect with people and, and improve quality of life, they, they, they want to give. 
And, of course, it's $10 to be involved on Giving Hearts Day. So it really everyone can participate or most people can participate. And that all the charities, you said it's, it's over 170, they are all online at Impact Give Back? They are. They okay. are. They're all online. It, you go to impactgiveback.org and you'll find that day you'll see all these charities that you can choose from. You can fill up a cart just like you're shopping online mm-hmm. and, and you can give to all sorts of uh, – all sorts of different causes. And day is very important here. It is just one day, right? It is. I go on at 12.01 a.m. that, that day and which make sure. Which is Valentine's which Day. Which is Valentine's Day okay. and make sure that everything's working. <laughs> Not everyone has to stay up that late, but uh, we tend to do that on our team. And then we stay there until, you know, it's until 12 midnight. Okay. So it truly is an online, you know, an online event. And it, it does run that full that full course of the entire day. What is it about online giving that, that seems to spur so much growth? Well, you know, it's, it's really easy because you don't have to you get babysitters if you have kids and you don't have to get ready for a gala or a golf tournament or some sort of an event. And you don't have to, you know, bid on an auction item. It's just, you know, you have 24 hours. These, these donations are matched uh, for the most part. And and then you, we have all sorts of incentives. So first place gets fifteen thousand dollars, and it goes all the way through tenth tenth place. So it's it's really exciting, and and you only have that twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. So people don't fret and think about it and leave, leave it on their desk. They, they and actually, forget about it. <laughs> exactly. They they really make it happen. Hmm. What do you have any idea what the average gift that people are giving? Is it around that ten dollar mark, or that's just a beginning point? You know, that's just a beginning point. I can tell you, give you a really uh, what I think is a great statistic. Um, in two thousand and eleven, it was about seven hundred dollars per minute that was given. You know, in, in collectively, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. by two thousand and twelve, that went up to eleven hundred and thirty three dollars per minute. So it, it's you know it's spectacular. Yeah, that's uh, quite a nice dollar per minute. Uh, <laughs> um, now, and the matching funds, now it started off as it was just DMF who was matching, but now, like you said, you've grown to the point you've had to even find outside matching funds. Yeah, you know, this is a great problem to have. You know, we, we started out with a $4,000 match for these groups for health-related. Mm-hmm. And, and because Dakota Medical comes from Dakota Hospital, it's a health-related uh, foundation. Well, then we realized that we really should open this up to non-health-related even though DMF can't pay for that, that match. Okay. But then we had a, a ton of health-related nonprofits. It grew and grew and grew. And so the day really, it's about a $500,000 day just for Dakota Medical Foundation. So it, it's grown, it's grown. And so for two reasons, A, we expanded it to non-health-related groups, which mm-hmm. we think was the right thing to do. And then B, it's grown exponentially in terms of the number of charities that wanted to participate. Well, yeah, and I was reading through some stuff online and saw it started with health, now seems to include art and and education, and then it says you have a goal of expanding to all nonprofits. Um, What needs to happen in order for that to happen? Well, uh, what we're doing, remember, we're training all these groups, Mm -hmm. and so what they need to do before the February 14th is they need to secure a match because – you know, part of the excitement for the day is that these donors' dollars are going to be matched. So we're training all the groups and we're uh, how to be exceptional fundraisers, and we're requiring then that the additional groups raise their own match. So it really makes for an exciting day for, for donors because uh, they're all, you know, all these groups are working together to spread the message about Giving Hearts Day. Mm-hmm. So the communities across North Dakota and Western Minnesota, the awareness level is high. 
you know, about connecting with charity mm-hmm. because they're all flooding your mailboxes and you're hearing it on the, the radio and the TV, you know, the Giving Hearts Day, your donations will be matched. So they're all really helping each other put on this day. Mm-hmm. You know, and driving. So most times people make two donations. The average is about 1.5 donations rather than just one. Okay. A lot of people get on the website and say, oh, I see this other group. Maybe I should give a second donation. Sure. Maybe even one you hadn't heard of. Absolutely. There's kind of a, a biography or a synopsis anyway of what they do online? There is. In fact, that's, you know, one thing about Impact Give Back is we're trying to connect people with these wonderful opportunities for giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Mm-hmm. So throughout the year, we're trying to build awareness that you can, you know, do a word search on impactgiveback.org and look for those charities that may be um, improving the arts, you know, the charities that may be dealing with children, the charities mm-hmm. that are dealing with health and health care, and et cetera. So you can, because again, giving is personal. So we want to help people connect with what they're passionate about. Um, in, in addition to the training that uh, nonprofits go through, what other criteria, I mean, you said they had to get their own matching grants, um, but what else do they have to because you have to kind of set a threshold for who's allowed to be in this, right? We, we do. Yes, we do. And, you know, one of the things that we require is they be what's what's called an impact nonprofit. So the first thing would be that they have some sort of a strategy. You know, the nonprofit should have some sort of a strategy, a written strategy. The board should measure accomplishment of that strategy. They should evaluate the executive director and they should have financials. So that they're, you know, they have some accountability there with a, mm-hmm. you know, a board that meets and, and approves a budget and looks at the strategic plan so that we know it's an organization that, that is, uh, you know, being governed well. Sure. And, and that re- we really think that's important so that organizations do the bare minimum to be effective. I mean, we, we want to train them how to do all sorts of things to be mm-hmm. ex- exceptional. What goes into this training? Well, the training uh, in particular is... Uh, geared towards, you know, how can you have an approach towards fundraising that's ethical and highly effective? And so there's group training and then there's coaching one-on-one by our, our uh, those Holdmans that I told you about that do the fundraising training. Um, so they, you know, there's m- multiple trainings throughout the year that we make available. So for sure they have to have attended at least our one full day training. Mm-hmm. And then we have specific training for Giving Hearts Day that occurs the fall. So it occurred the fall of 2012. Okay. So, so it, it's quite a bit of time. It sounds like donors then can be relatively sure then. I mean, you have gone through a nice vetting process that, that these nonprofits are going to be good stewards yes. <laughs> of the money. Yeah, and we live in a region where we've got wonderful nonprofits. I mean, I have to tell you that I work with a lot of these folks directly, and they're wonderful, and they're they're governed by great board members. So, you know, we're blessed in this area that we don't have a lot of things that might be going on in other parts of the country, you know, mm-hmm. where you can't trust certain charities. So, But certainly we have, and we feel like we have an obligation to do some vetting. How much, uh, do you have any idea what you can expect this year? How much you think you'll raise? Well, uh, our goal, you know, was $1.6 million last year and mm-hmm. 10,850 donations. Okay. So this year, you know, we want to make sure that website will be working because it's, we want to go over $2 million this year. And we have a, about 34 new charities this year. So it, it, you know, the staff works uh, quite a bit in the, in the last two months working with 
these uh, nonprofits to get them prepared. You know, this is new for some groups. And we really want them to be comfortable fundraising in an online environment Mm -hmm. and then donors to be comfortable giving in an online environment. Mm -hmm. So it takes some hand-holding if they've never done that before because the traditional fundraiser is an event. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to an event. And right. They... There's silent auction. There's hors d'oeuvres, et cetera. <laughs> exactly. So this is a little bit different. This is the new culture, you know, to be online. As we know, we're all doing our banking online, you know, mm-hmm. and some are doing it on their handheld. Mm-hmm. And they said they'd never do that 10 years ago. So, you know, this is the wave of the future. It's not where all fundraising certainly will occur, but a, but a great amount of fundraising can be done. So that's why we really feel it's important that they sharpen that knife in their drawer, the the fundraising online. All right. And one last time then, how do they make those donations online? They need to go to impactgiveback.org. That's impactgiveback.org. 1201 a.m. They can make a donation with me and they can make it throughout the day. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because after lunch, people hear the radio or they get someone talks to them. And right after lunch at one o'clock, we see those numbers those go numbers through spike. the roof. And in the morning when they get to work at eight o'clock, So it'll be uh, thank you for having me on to get the word out. That really helps. Thanks for joining us. And again, that's impactgiveback.org, and that is coming up on Valentine's Day. That's Thursday for anybody out there. And uh, we'll be back with more after this news. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck. If you've ever been a lady to begin with, luck be a lady tonight. That, of course, is Luck Be a Lady, uh, this version done by the great Frank Sinatra. Luck, chance, kismet. In the cards, those are just the kinds of phrases that my next guest does not like to hear. (laughs) If you're just tuning in, I'm Ashley Thornburg, your guest host for today's edition of Hear It Now. And Warren Christensen is here now, an assistant professor in the Department of Physics at NDSU. And he's gearing up to give a talk on poker for this month's Science Cafe, a monthly discussion trying to make science more accessible. That's right. Warren, thank you so much for joining me well, today. Thank, thank you for having me. Uh, how did you get involved in Science Cafe? Um, well, it's something that our the College of Science and Mathematics at NDSU has um, sponsored and worked with um, the HODO for um, a number of years now. And one of the organizers asked me if there was anything that I would want to talk about. Is there anything, uh, you know, particularly of, of hobby, of interest or something that um, would make for a good talk. And I said, well, I, I don't know if anybody else would be interested, but I really like to play poker, and I think about it in a very mathematical uh, way. Mm-hmm. And so um, it seemed to be interesting enough. So here I am. Well, yeah, that, that discussion, what, um, the science of uh, small statistics in y- poker. Y- well, y- what's the exact title? Say it for uh, me. Uh, it's Luck Isn't a Lady. It's the statistics of small samples, the science and mathematics of the game of poker. Okay. Well, let's start with the science. Sure. What kinds of scientific insights do you need to improve your poker playing? Well, I, I think there's there's a couple of things. Probably the biggest um, the biggest um, thing from 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 a scientific standpoint would be a psychology kind of perspective where mm-hmm. um, it's very common for when when things maybe aren't going particularly well or um, that that you your, your emotions kind of get in the way and cloud um, your rational thinking and, and cause you to act in ways that are less than optimal. Um, 
ideally what you're doing is, is you're being very thoughtful about a hand. You're playing each hand, um, you know, kind of uh, not necessarily you, – you can't play it in isolation. But what you're, you're trying to make the best um, decision at a given moment. Um, mm-hmm. So you're trying to use a lot of uh, statistics and a lot of, a lot of inferences about what has happened previous to that hand um, depending on who you're playing with. Um, and if you're you know, overly emotional because of maybe a hand didn't go your way previously, mm-hmm. you might not be making the best decision. You don't really have a poker face going <laughs> That's <for you. laughs> right. Yeah, right. Very commonly uh, people talk about poker tells where mm-hmm. like they, they read off their opponent just exactly – um, you know, I, I didn't feel like he had at that time, so I had to call him down or something like that. And poker tells can sometimes come into play as well. Um, but th- that's probably the, the biggest science aspect. Though I'm going to try to draw in uh, other bits and try to identify ways in which um, how, for, for instance, that humans use um, inductive reasoning very often, mm-hmm. right? You, um, there's a great example that we've evolved as a species to kind of understand that if there's a rustle in the grass, um, you know, on, on the savanna, you were, you were scared to go near the grass because there might be a tiger there. Um, there's not always a tiger there, but mm-hmm. it's better to be safe um, than sorry. And poker happens that way a lot where you get over, you know, a small sample of hands, you, you have, might have a bad experience. You might be a big favorite to win a hand and then lose. Well, that might influence you to maybe not play that hand the same way, even if you played it correctly. Um, so it's kind of – there's interesting tie-ins I think to other, um, to other sciences that I'm going to try to make given the, the title of the talk. Yeah, definitely a lot of psychology, a lot of a sort of mentally psyching yourself into poker or maybe even psyching out your opponent. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely come in. Um, but um, maybe even more so is the math. Right. Yep. How does having a really sound understanding – and, and maybe specifically what kinds of math? Sure. I mean, the, the, um, there's a lot of uh, – people can get into certain um, mathematical discussions. People talk about game theory from time to time in poker, but it's very difficult because there's a lot of, a lot of decisions to be made. Um, so it's difficult to model um, uh, the, like a full game of poker using uh, gaming theory. Uh, but there are – but you're basically just working with statistics um, and uh, whether that's, you know – like a Bayesian statistics or something like that, um, you could you could use. Um, it is the, the simplest parts are are basically identifying what are the odds that you are going to win the particular hand, and mm-hmm. what odds are the uh, is is the pot kind of offering you. So if you're you're forced to make a call on a particular hand, um, how much is in the pot? How much do you have to call? That tells you the odds. Um, you know what odds you're being paid, and mm-hmm. then you need to kind of you do a a guesstimate or a rough calculation of what the odds are that you're going to win and make sure mm-hmm. that the pot is paying you more than your chances of winning so that you are going to make money in the long run. And what that that sounds well it doesn't sound that easy but <laughs> <laughs> um what uh how do you help people kind of know how to do that math in their heads quickly, you know, specifically maybe if math isn't a strong suit. Sure, well there's um there's lots of uh t- tips or, or tricks that you could do, um, uh, particularly for a game like um, Texas Hold'em is, is a very commonly played uh, variant of poker, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the last 10 to 20 years. Um, and let's say that you're trying to get a, a flush. You have four cards to a flush and you need one more card right, mm-hmm. to get a flush. Well, if you already have four of the cards that make up that suit, there are only 13 mm-hmm. of each suit, right? Um, so there's nine cards left. So let's say you have four hearts. You need one of the remaining nine hearts. So you have nine chances um, 
to, to get the, the card that you want out of all of the cards that are left over that you haven't seen yet. And so you can do a rough calculation of, well, your, your odds, your, your percent chance of actually drawing a heart tend to be two times whatever the number of outs you have, like if the river is coming. It, it just mathematically works out that way. So if you okay. have nine outs to, to make your hand, you have about an 18% chance of catching that flush uh, when the last card comes. Or if you have two cards still to come, it's actually about four times. So you'd have about a 36% chance of catching that flush. So those are some things that, that you can learn to do. That may sound uh, hard, but it's, it's not too – it takes practice where you mm-hmm. practice counting the outs that you have and knowing kind of what are the chances of improving are. I mean, as long as, the, like I mentioned, the pot pays you more is, – is offering you better odds than what, you, what it takes to get to your hand, then you should probably call and, and try this to – This is starting to sound a little like the stock market. <laughs> this is risk versus reward, and it, this is a safe bet, and it, these are bonds. Yeah, that's are... actually very insightful. <laughs> I think that, that poker in many ways is a lot more like the, the stock market than people realize. I, I certainly think it's a lot more like the stock market than, than playing like blackjack, for instance, where mm-hmm. blackjack is a game where you're playing against the house, and the house is – is going to um, always win, right? They 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 stack the games so that say. so that they're going to win the money. So if you play blackjack long enough, you're going to lose. Um, but in poker, just like in the stock market, you don't have to like the system isn't set up to make you lose. The the system is set up to um, possibly allow for you to win as long as you do better than everyone else. So in the poker table, you just need to be better than the other people sitting around the table. And as long as you're better at poker than them by whatever small percentage the house happens to be taking out of the pot, mm-hmm. you can make money playing poker. And that's not the case in other forms of gambling. Um, different kinds of poker, though. There's stud poker, draw poker, community poker like Texas Hold'em. Does the probability – do you have to kind of know a different sort of odds calculations depending on what kind of poker you're playing? Um, the, the calculations really aren't that different. Um, okay. It's – it, it changes how many cards you see. So, um, so for instance, like Stud Games and Texas Hold'em or Omaha Hold'em, um, there are not – well, there are community cards in some of those games, like you mentioned, um, where everybody can see the cards. And then in, mm-hmm. in Stud, there's also some cards are face-up. So that gives you additional information, which makes the, the calculations – end up being slightly different than, say, like a, a five-card draw game or something like that mm-hmm. where you don't have any information about what the actual cards that are dealt are. But um, in terms of the math, right, there's still 52 cards in a deck. They're mm-hmm. still, you know, th- those kind of things are still the same. So does luck have anything to do with it? <laughs> luck has a great deal uh, to do with it, actually. Um, but, but like my title suggests, right, it's really the st- – luck is more of the statistics of small samples. If you have a small sample of hands, mm-hmm. let's say you and I play um, – 20 hands of poker, you could beat me on every single hand, uh, despite the fact that I might know how to play poker slightly better than you. Um, it's, it, but it's simply the fact that, you know, when you, over 20 hands, the, the statistics are small enough that, that there's a, a large amount of variance. And mm-hmm. as you play 10,000 hands or 100,000 hands of poker, the variance uh, is a lot smaller. And so the chances of you beating me over the course of 100,000 hands of poker are very, very small. Um, it, but you can see there's evidence of this that, that kind of makes everyone – it goes back to the human experience thing that because um, we might play uh, a whole night of poker or many, many, many nights of poker, you might only play a few hundred hands over the course of many nights. Mm-hmm. And, 
And you're trying to infer, we as humans try to infer like, well, what were the best plays or what made me money? And and the information that you're using to make those decisions is based on a really small sample of hands. And so you can get lucky and you can win by maybe maybe you played bad, but but you still it was it you happened to get lucky in that instance. And that's why it kind of feeds this this um, this idea that it is a lot about luck, and it's mm-hmm. true. I mean, there was a a great example of this um, in two thousand and six, I believe it was for the uh, the NBC ho- ho- um, has this uh, world championship of heads up poker. I'm not sure if they still do it, but um, there was a match where they had some celebrities and some um, an expert poker players, and Phil Ivey was on. And Phil Ivey is the best poker player, pretty much in the world, hands down. That's pretty much widely agreed upon. Um, he played. Um, um, Don Cheadle, uh, mm-hmm. the actor from like Hotel Rwanda and things sure. like that. And and Don Cheadle beat Phil Ivey. Now, Don Cheadle is nowhere near the poker player that Phil Ivey is, but it was a small number of hands that they were playing. And it isn't quite the same. Um, the The edges are much smaller in a game like poker. Now, if you were, if, if there was, if this was a let's say, a mixed martial arts fight, right? A novice person is never going to beat an expert, uh, you know, at that kind of thing because the edges are, are much bigger. Or mm-hmm. if you play uh, baseball against, like, a professional um, pitcher, they're going to have more success, right, than, than you are. And But poker, the, the edges are just smaller. And so you'd have to play a lot of hands for that expertise to show up. Um, so that's why even the, the most popular, a very popular form of poker are these large uh, tournaments that they host. And even within an entire tournament, even though you might be playing a thousand hands of poker, that's still enough. That's still not enough hands to really take the luck completely out of it. Um, so, but luck does play a part, and I I, I think luck is fine. Like <laughs> I mean, it, it makes it certainly entertaining. Um, but skill does play a a more significant role um, than luck in the long term. Yeah, it kind of sounds like luck is is maybe gives everybody a chance. Sure, kind absolutely. Kind of levels the playing field, yeah. but if you want to perform <laughs> for an endurance yeah, amount right, of right. time, that's right. You want to be able to do that. Um, and so your talk it's tomorrow night at seven. Yep, that's right. Correct. Okay, and that's at the Hodo. Yep, it's in the basement. Okay, they have a special name for it, but I can't remember what the basement of the Hodo is. Well, you'll find it when you go there. <laughs> yeah, it's downstairs. <laughs> just just ask for the poker discussion. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm sure you can find it. Um, what else are you going to talk about? I mean, you talked about some of the other science. Oh, it's called Stoker's Lounge. Thanks very much to our astute producer here. Awesome. Um, where was I going with that now? Um, you're going to be talking a little bit about science mm-hmm. and math. Are there other things that people what, – what else can they expect to hear from this talk? Yeah, so one of the things that I was really um, – I'm really passionate about is that, like I mentioned before, that poker very often gets lumped in with other forms of gambling, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is is just an inappropriate um, association. Like it, there are similarities. There are cards. There are chips. Mm -hmm. I I realize that, but in terms of how it's played, um, it's much different. the The negative side of that that has real real negative consequences. At least for me, I'm someone that enjoys playing poker, um, and I would like the opportunity to do it. But poker gets lumped in with gambling, and there and gets um, like banned, right? You, you currently mm-hmm. can't um, gamble online on your computer, um, and you used to be able to. Um, there was a, a you know legislation that, that passed at the federal level, and there are other um, 
uh, legislation, legis- legislation that gets passed at the state level as well that, that kind of limits people's ability to to play poker. Um, and I think that's just unfortunate. And I think it's kind of ties into this idea that it is just gambling, that it's just luck and that you're going to lose eventually. And that's that's just not the case, right? You're not playing against the house. There are no odds stacked against you. There are just other people there. And like I mentioned, as long as you're mm-hmm. better than them, you can it's a it's a profitable game right it's something that can be um played for money so th- th- i'd like to kind of highlight some of the the misconceptions that people have about poker and okay. and and that's kind of the motivation for talking about all of the different the science and the math that there really is more to it than what people often perceive and then kind of highlight what the implications of those are you know with this you know different laws and things that are passed okay and so. maybe if people had that more sound understanding of how to play there wouldn't be quite the need for regulation <laughs> i would hope so yeah <laughs> that would be so that's uh, that's what you're aiming to do absolutely making yep. uh, math and science a little bit more understandable by uh, helping us to um, relate to it more sure through through poker <laughs> well thank you very much and again it's tuesday night at 7 p.m at the basement of the hodo lounge and that is called stoker's lounge and thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me I pre- it was a lot of fun tom ezern is coming up next with a look at an honest day's labor We'd like to thank the North Dakota Council on the Arts for supporting arts programming along with our members and other sources here on Prairie Public. Here at Now would like you to contact us if you have comments, questions, or guest ideas. Give us a call at 1-888-755-6377 or write us at hearitnow at prairiepublic.org. And now here's Tom Ezern, a distinguished professor of history. We have begun on the North Dakota State University campus another iteration of the recurring question, just what constitutes a college education? The essentials are embodied by what is known as general education. This sort of discussion is exasperating in two ways. The first is it's tedious. The wrangling goes on, and often the people having the least idea of what a college education is do most of the talking. This results in the dumbing down of the process and the product. I mean, the last time around, the process actually coined an intended student outcome that read thus. Locate and use information for making appropriate personal and professional decisions. Talk about your least common denominator. The second exasperating thing about the discussion, especially if you have a long memory, is that it partakes of the most harebrained elements of the times in which it takes place. So the way I read the current proposed set of parameters, the core offering will be Narcissism 101. Students are urged to ponder the question, Who am I? And how did I become that person? I would like to suggest since all of us state employees at the university have sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and that of North Dakota, that we begin with what we are constitutionally required to do. Constitution of North Dakota, Article 7, Section 3. 
In all schools, instruction shall be given as far as practicable in those branches of knowledge that tend to impress upon the mind the vital importance of truthfulness, temperance, purity, public spirit, and respect for honest labor of every kind. Now, parse this out with me and see if we don't come up with a pretty good program, one informed by the best angels of prairie life. Truthfulness. See that our students recognize the importance of the search for truth, know how to discover it in the various branches of learning, to detect falsity and reject sophistry. Temperance. Extending the common meaning of the term at the time of the adoption of the Constitution, enjoined our students to curtail self-indulgence and preserve their human potential. Purity. Recognizing that we all fall short of this ideal, nevertheless, learn together to examine our motives and be worthy in our aspirations. Public spirit. Ask of ourselves, how may I be of service to my fellow citizens, beginning with my neighbors? Call this public spirit and not public service. To convey the conviction, this is something that animates us, not a burden to carry. And finally, respect for honest labor of every kind. You knew this one would be my favorite, right? And I think it was the favorite of the authors of the Constitution, too, because they represented a producerist commonwealth on the northern plains. In my observation, college students today are hardworking. But they do not necessarily respect their work. They see it as a means to an end. They do not see the work itself as a good worthy of respect. This, then, is the commanding task before us, to teach respect for honest labor of every kind. All right. Thank you very much, Tom. As always, wise words to live by. Dakota Datebook is next. Subscribe to our podcast or listen to a broadcast. Either way, recent shows of Hear It Now are available online. So if you missed a show, you can hear it now or hear it anytime, anywhere. All day, all night, a friend in Fiji, your aunt in Vermont, can tune into a show you just know they'd want to hear or they can browse for other topics of interest. So spread the word and hear it now at prairiepublic.org. Support for Dakota Date Book is provided by Attorney Daniel Buchanan of Buchanan Law Office in Jamestown, specializing in elder law and estate planning. Information on these and other legal matters is available at 252-6604. This is Dakota Date Book for February 11th. In biblical times, persons who had leprosy were shunned and had to call out, unclean, unclean, to warn others away. In North Dakota, the most publicized cases of modern leprosy were in Walsh County near Edinburgh. There, two men became wards of the county, getting room and board and medical care as welfare. Their plight came under investigation by Dr. John E. Engstead, a prominent Grand Forks physician. 
On this date in 1900, the Grand Forks Herald published Engstead's second opinion on their diagnosis, and the doctor confirmed that both men were indeed lepers. The elder man, named Sicarius Ardal, born in Norway in 1848, had immigrated to the U.S. in 1889. Mr. Ardal was 51 years old and was the father of six children, ages 10 to 22. His farm was located 16 miles northwest of Edinburgh. Dr. Engsted noted that the Norwegian leper was gradually wasting away, being totally blind, and with only three fingers remaining intact. The county provided lodging for the Norwegian in a sod house on the leper's own farm. His wife and family lived in a nearby wood-framed house. The other leper was Swedish immigrant John Ostland, age 37, whose leprosy was not as advanced as that of the Norwegian. When the Swede applied for assistance, the county put him in the sod house with the Norwegian leper. The Swede reportedly cooked and cleaned house for the blind man. Dr. Engsted called the sod house, having five-foot-thick walls and only one window, a living tomb where the lepers were doomed to eat, sleep, and pass the long hours with nothing ahead of them but death, death by inches. The only human contact the lepers had, according to Dr. Engsted, was when one of the Norwegian's children would shout a greeting from the top of a ridge nearby. The doctor criticized Walsh County's care and advocated for the creation of a national leper hospital where these men could get better treatment. Dr. Engsted's newspaper report stirred up strong reactions from Walsh County officials who said Engsted had merely sensationalized the case. As for the men, the Norwegian leper... Mr. Ardal lived for only three more years. The Swede, John Ostland? Well, his fate was unknown after 1905. But the case of the two lepers was debated for some time thereafter, a controversy explored in another episode of Dakota Datebook. Today's Dakota Datebook was written by Dr. Steve Hoffbeck. I'm Merrill Pepcorn. Dakota Datebook is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota with funding from the North Dakota Humanities Council. Thanks for joining us on this Monday edition of Hear It Now. Don't forget about going to impactgiveback.org to uh, select the charity of your choice for your contribution. That is for one day only. That's on Thursday and Tuesday night at 7. Check out uh, Luck Isn't a Lady, the statistics of small samples, the science and mathematics of the game of poker. That's at Stoker's Basement the of the Hotel Donaldson. Tomorrow, Hear It Now is preempted for Internet Communities, Virtual Reality, an episode of State of the Reunion. This episode tells stories of the Internet's impact on community building in human terms and on the messy level of people's daily existence where its effects are rarely positive or negative. That's coming up Tuesday on Here It Now. Have a great night.